Is it Penny, Nikki? Thanks for the gumball. Penny for the gumball, Freddy. Thanks for the gumball. Penny for the gumball, bye-bye. Thanks for the gumball. Gumball banks with new sugarless gumball. You can get refills that fill up Mickey Mouse, Popeye, Fred Flintstone. As the gumballs go down, the pennies go up. What are you going to do with all your pennies, Popeye? I want gumballs. Yeah, but never do, me too. Mickey Mouse, Popeye, and Fred Flintstone gumball banks with sugarless gumballs. Refills sold separately. Are you curious? Being curious, it killed the cat. Well, apparently, anyway. Meaning that the cat was killed because it was too curious and followed its nature too far. Except most people forget that curiosity killed the cat. That's only half the proverb. Curiosity killed the cat, but satisfaction brought it back. See, the cat here is you. You may not find what you want to find in being curious, but the satisfaction in finding the answer, well, that's what you were really looking for anyway. And of course, there's that wonderful small monkey named George who also taught us that curiosity can be messy and hard and get us into the occasional jam. Oh, don't we all need the man with the yellow hat on occasion? But Curious George also lets us know that curiosity leads to new discoveries, adventures, and curiosity teaches us not to get so tangled up in details and processes that we forget that having fun along the way well, that's the whole point of this messy, hard, and challenging thing called life. In fact, that link between curiosity and happiness, it's been shown by science. When researchers monitored the brain activity in people who were practicing curiosity, diving deep into questions, the parts of their brain that regulate pleasure and reward lit up. Curious minds also show increased activity in the hippocampus, which is involved in the creation of memories. So you're not only happier when you're curious, you're creating happy memories for yourself, too. So what's the problem? Well, can we practice curiosity, being in the state of curious? Turns out it's really hard for us generally, and perhaps most hard in business. We're paid to know the right answer quickly, resolutely. And science has also shown that we're driven as humans to get closure to things that we have questions about. We need to know why, even if the answer isn't going to come. Why didn't I get the job? Why didn't this strategy work? Why is my relationship with her different now? Why aren't they texting me back? Why isn't this working? Why did they attack us? We need someone to blame, to answer, to be responsible. We need answers. And today, with the vast, endless, and always expanding repository of facts called the Internet and search engines, with them literally being a button push away, it can really limit our patience and being and staying in the curious state of mind. We get trained to not stay curious, but to get to the answer as fast as we possibly can. And that can make us sad, quite literally. Being no longer able to wallow in our curiosity. What actually causes gravity? What are dreams, really? Why does time exist? Why are there lefties and righties? What was the best thing before sliced bread? You see, occasionally, and as part of exercising our creativity, we just need to have fun and pursue questions whether or not we can actually answer them or not. Instead of trying for an answer, we should just revel in the question. What if there is no wrong answer? And that's the theme of our show today, curiosity. It makes me happy, and it makes memories. Let's just bask in the question and not consult Google or the Oracle or that guy in IT who has all the answers. Let's just be okay with the question. You good with that? Don't answer. Just keep thinking, and let's roll. For your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with this old marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers. This 
is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 190 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Monday, July 3rd, 2017, our pre-Independence Day show. And with me, as always, is my co-host, my colleague, my friend, and the most curious guy in content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? That might be true. I'm yeah. fairly curious. Yeah, it's especially a, it's a in some benefit. of our articles this week, which we'll talk yeah. about. Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, do you, you have well? Happy Fourth of July! Happy Fourth of July to you as well. Are you uh, are you celebrating? Are you I, watching fireworks? Are you- I am. I'm taking advantage of the. I guess it's for some. It's been a five day weekend, but for, but for but for my my you know for sort of the. What I'm noticing is that everybody seems to be mostly off today, so it's at least a four-day weekend. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we've got a little bit of family in town, and we're hanging out, and I got to celebrate my birthday. As I was telling you last week, I sort of waited till the weekend to celebrate my birthday, and um, and yeah, so it's been a it's been a, it's been a good four days so far. So any any wisdom from your from your birthday, like any thoughts on how things are going to be different this year? Anything you can share with our audience that would be impactful? Or should we just well, move on? <laughs> no. Well, yeah, we should just move on. But but th- th- certainly, I think, you know, I mean, well, look, the intro, I think, says a lot. This was something that's been on my mind of late, which is this whole idea of curiosity and staying curious. I'm reading, at, on my birthday, I'm reading um, the book that you recommended so highly, which is, of course, uh, Tools of Titans. Um, the Tim Ferriss book. Yeah. So I'm I'm well into that, and it's I I like you. I would highly recommend it. And there was a, there was a thing on being curious in there, and and I it's what really inspired me for this week's because it's something for me that I have found, you know, when I'm happiest is when I'm exploring, like when I'm exploring something for a new book, or when I'm exploring something for a white paper, or. I find it that's when I'm the most satisfied in my work. And so it's it's um, it's something I think is important for us to not forget <clears throat> because we can get really lost in this whole idea of the Internet and answers are so easy to get to and, you know, looking for templates and looking for, you know, easy ways out, you know, and we can get lost in, in the value and happiness of, you know, just being in the question. You know, I, I, I have a lot of friends that actually don't read and they're not curious by nature. I still love them. There's nothing wrong with it. But from what I found, the most successful people in the world are the ones that read, uh, you know, as many books, as many articles as they can get their hands on. They're so incredibly curious. They're always asking questions. So what you say resonates. Obviously, the book is all about that. I mean, these are the right. leading yeah. thinkers, billionaires, philanthropists in the world, and they are all. What's what's amazing to me? I think I read. At a pretty good clip, and then I read Tools of Titans, and I'm like, "Oh, this guy read read four books last week, and here they are." I'm like, "Come, come on, is that all you do?" But and I think they do. I think that's what yeah, they, they I sit think around they, and yeah, think. They make time. Yeah, they make, make time. time for it. Make yeah, exactly. And that's I think what you have to do is make time for that when we all think we're so busy, and maybe watch a little bit less Big Brother at night. You know, that's right. You know I'm talking that's about that's right. I do no, but Which not, I've never not, watched not Big with Big, not with Big Brother, but yes, I do know what you're talking about. <laughs> generally speaking, yeah. All right, shall we? Uh, shall we into the news this week? We shall into the news actually and get this wonderful holiday uh, episode underway because uh, we actually have quite a bit of news since we didn't cover news last week. We actually have quite a bit of news to cover um, and some really, as you said, curious articles. Um, uh, that we might want to talk about. The first one uh, comes to us courtesy of the New York Times, um, and it comes from that uh, that festival of advertising and marketing that you were at and had no idea what yeah, exactly. it was, uh, which, is, of course, is the Con Lion Festival. And the headline here is, At Con, the great gusher of content comes with warning signs. Uh, by the way, big hat tip here to Ashley Stryker, Great name, by the way, Ashley Stryker, um, and uh, who sent this over to us via the email address. And so thank you, Ashley, for that. The article opens up by saying, I imagine that covering the annual Conline Advertising Festival here is a little bit like covering the great Texas oil boom a century ago, only with better food, cocktails, and scenery. Well, I'm not sure about that, but all right. So then... 
Prospectors were chasing the real-world currency of crude. Now they're after the new currency of the connected world, your attention. That great geyser of our times, of course, is the handheld connectivity that Steve Jobs tapped with his iPhone and that Google, Facebook, Twitter, and Snapchat now so powerfully refine and distribute on their social media platforms. They've allowed more players to rush in and give you the exact sorts of videos, music, news, and entertainment that you want exactly when you want them. They've also sent the media industry off its moorings and the last remaining tethers, cable television cords, are rapidly snapping. So, belabored metaphors aside, this article then goes on to really talk about how content uh, is becoming the real key here. And that, uh, well, let me just stop there and say, what did you think about this? Is this something that, that did you see it while you were there? And do you see it sort of more broadly? You know, the one thing I saw and I mentioned on the show last week was, you know, of course, the big Snapchat Ferris wheel and the spending of some of these companies to get attention. And it did feel a little bit like, and I think I said this was, you know, the 2000, you know, 2000, 2001 in the stock market when it's just like everything was booming and it's unbelievable. And we, we, you know, we've, we've hit this level of we can reach all these people in these different ways. And I think, I can't remember where it was in the article, but they talked about, it seems like fool's gold. Did you? I can't remember right. who said that. In the, but yeah. I'll have to give if I find it. Um, but that's that's what hit me, and I don't want. And I know the, where I'm coming from, and where you're coming from, and we're coming from a very different land, if you will, t- talking about building audiences versus disrupting. But it seems odd to me that so many companies are so excited about this, about not building assets, about trying to disrupt people. And there's a whole section of this article that talks about how YouTube is, what are they, they have this six second ad rule now for right. YouTube. <laughs> okay, let's tell a story in six seconds. And let's really get their attention as as quickly as we can and try to come up with something witty. Uh, instead of, why don't we really focus on what their needs are and deliver something consistent to them over time? And what am I going to do with all that? I mean, there's still so much money being spent in this area. And I think at some point, and that's why I don't know, I almost need a reality check from you. Am I just, you know, the content marketing guy that's like, I can't believe they're spending all this money on advertising and not on, you know, creating their own assets and building audiences. I don't know if that's what I'm coming at, but that, that's when I read this article, I'm like, I really do feel like there's going to be some kind of correction soon. I don't know when that could be. Six months? That could be six years. But it, it there has to be some kind of correction because all these advertising dollars are being sopped up by Facebook, Google, and a little bit of, let's say, a little bit of Snapchat here since we're talking about them. But it's I, it, it almost like we're treating it like the boom times of advertising, but it's not. And a couple, there's a couple winners and everybody else are losers in this. I, I don't know. I'm rambling. What do you got? <laughs> what, do you got anything? I, I, no, I do, actually. I do. I I. I, I I hopefully have something that that dovetails nicely with that uh, that that rambling man. Um, you know, here's the thing. It was Mark Pritchard, by the way. The the was the P and G um, CEO or the branding chief um, uh, who who called it fool's gold. Okay, um, yeah. and um, and he and he says so based on an agreement with um, the CEO of Vox Media who basically was warning all of the con attendees against trading the idea of quality and trust for the easy route for our attention. And so you can feel the unease in the, you know, even there, right? You know, we even, even at con, you can feel that it doesn't feel quite right to just replace this thing we've called, you know, traditional advertising with this grab for attention through short bit, you know, types of content across social media channels because it feels like the same thing. You know, you've heard me say a million times during the workshop where I bring Marshall McLuhan to the whole table and we talk about the idea and the strengths of owned media and how the the sands of this media landscape is shifting so fundamentally and when it happens when when this goes on as Marshall McLuhan would say we tend to bring our old stereotypes and he called them the old stereos you know our eye, eyeballs and perceptions to the reality so in other words what we're looking for as an industry as a uh, as a as a group as a culture 
is a replacement for advertising. And so we're looking for a different kind of advertising, right? What is the what is advertising in a different format? And what we have found is some short form pre-roll video on YouTube or some short, you know, video on Facebook or promoted posts on Facebook. We're taking these these new channels and ideas and saying how do we apply the old paradigms to them? And that's that's really the unease that you can feel. You can literally feel in the quote from the Vox CEO from Mark Pritchard, which is who is saying we're not asking ourselves how we're going to be fundamentally transformed with this whole stuff. Rather, we're just saying, how do we take the old idea, the old model, and apply it to the new model? And I think that's where the correction is going to come from that you're talking about, which is at some point, somebody and a, a, a multitude of people are going to start to completely upend this idea and this model and start to really you know, do well with it. And that's going to be the sort of tipping point. And and as I predicted in our show last week when we talked about the predictions, um, you know, for the last half of the year, I would have thought that that advertising disruption would have been year or years off. And I think it's not so much anymore. I think it's I think it's coming quickly. I think that upending is going to come much faster than uh, than I would have otherwise realized. What do now, you think that means? Yeah. What does that mean when you say it's uh, there's going to be an upending I think this idea of what we what what when you when we talk about this idea that you know that that really this advertising this this article gets to in the New York Times and look this is the New York Times this is not an inside baseball person really writing about this this is a New York Times trying to consumerize this what's going on in the advertising market you know what I mean so this is written from a very fifty thousand foot view for you know, general consumers of the New York Times to read and go, oh, I get it. There's something really big going on in, you know, in, at, at Cannes Film Festival or the Advertising Festival. But for people like you and I that have been living and breathing and understanding this, this you can, you, you can see this for what it is, which is another data point in something that's been going on for the last, you know, 10 years. And when I say that there's an upending coming, what I, the, the way it sort of expresses itself to me is when you start to see the big brands and Pritchard from P and G is just the first. Unilever has has said this. Other brand GE has said this. You know, if you sort of take all those data points together, everybody has said that at some point they're going to just stop the madness of this. You know, of the thirty second interruptive based advertising model. And when we start to see that in conjunction with the 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 consolidation of online, where you know Snapchat, Facebook, Google. Um, and Amazon are, you know, and, and a few others are really driving however much, you know, the, of the walled garden, quote unquote, of what is now considered the internet. I think at some point that model breaks. It just has to, right? It just has to. And I suspect at the end of this year, we start to see like big mainstream people say, we're going to stop this madness, right? Now, I don't think, you know, like at the end of this year, I'm not suggesting that there's going to be a headline that says advertising is now officially dead. What I suspect is we're going to see big mainstream brands make big, bold statements to say, we're not doing this anymore. We're, you know, in other words, we're stopping using Facebook. We're, we're not going to do television advertising. You know, something big in that sort of interruptive adver digital advertising, especially paid media space is going to change. Now, what comes beyond that is a question. I suspect, and we suspect, you and I suspect, and, you know, based on the fact that our book is coming out, that there's a transformation coming into this idea of building your own audiences and having direct relationships with audiences, et cetera. I, I just, my suspicion is, is that where I would have put that out, you know, two years, three years, it's coming a lot sooner. It just boggles, I, I agree with you, and I guess... I would think that it wouldn't be somebody that says, oh, we're going to stop advertising altogether or stop using Facebook. It's going to be, we're cutting our advertising spend by 50%. Something like that's that. That's what I think it's going to be. That's what I really mean. And you yes. just think at the amount. So let's say that one of these large companies that are spending multiple billions of dollars a year in advertising say, we're going to take a billion dollars off the table, the table. and we're going to look at some, um, some strategic acquisitions of right. content That's platforms. exactly right. 
that's the thing that I can't get. It's like you're almost, I mean, no, I know they're not throwing their money away because I know it's driving products and services or they believe it's driving products and service sales. I get that. And so they can't just totally turn off the spigot or things won't work. Well, maybe they could. But <laughs> if they, they, they probably wouldn't do that because they would be scared. There's too much fear there. But if they started to chop off some of that and say, look, what if we did start to become the leading expert in these certain areas? What do we need to do? And we need to, get those funds from somewhere and those funds come from advertising. That's right. That's right. And if somebody came out and said, we're pulling 5 billion out, right. Or if a couple of companies came out and said, we're going to be pulling five to 7 billion out of the market, that would be about 10% of the market right now. So just look at it that way. Could happen. Yeah, totally could happen. It'd totally be interesting. We'd have a lot of things to talk about. Oh yes, we That'd would. So yes, we fun. would. Yes, we would. That's the time that we get to get invited onto MSNBC and and uh, and get interviewed by Crazy Joe and and what's her name? <laughs> <laughs> oh God, that's I'm a not, whole other thing. I'm not, not going, going to there. Talk about. I'm yeah. not going there. All right, so enough right. of that one. Do we have anything yes. else? All right, yeah, we're moving on. So our next story. Um, which is one I know that got you um, interested. Let's just say that um, is a it's a blog post from John Collins, who is the managing editor uh, at Intercom, and the blog is from the Intercom blog. And the headline, and this came out a little bit ago, and, and we've you know I don't, I don't know if we we even talked about it, but we we haven't talked about it on the show. No, but it's been sent to us by a few people, and the headline of the blog is why we're dropping the term content marketing. And the blog uh, John opens up with is he says, in the space of five years, content marketing has gone from promising a new, more authentic way for businesses and consumers to communicate to something with connotations of spam and hoodwinking readers. I, I, I okay, I, I didn't realize. How do you it. really yeah, tell us how you yeah. really feel? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Innovative companies rush to create their own internal newsroom, staffed by journalists, only then to have them crank out product announcements and press releases. It's little wonder that many view content marketing as a series of hacks taken straight from a mythical playbook called Zero to Ten Thousand Customers in Five Easy Steps. He then goes on to say, basically, we're dropping the term content marketing because we want to do content marketing. Um, so. Uh, what did you think about this? Because I know you're actually you're writing a post on this. Yeah, so I, I mean, you know this. I'll, I wrote a post that'll come out in a week or so from from this podcast episode. Uh, I guess um, I, I, I felt I should probably talk to this because there's been so many of these articles, and you and I have talked about. There's been dozens we've talked about, probably hundreds of articles and blog posts and whatnot about people saying they don't like the term content marketing. And by the way, there I have some some wonderful friends and experts in the industry that loathe the term content marketing. And that's fine. You can absolutely hate it. I mean, there were people that went kicking and screaming in 2008, 2009 when the term started to take off and they didn't want to uh, want to use it. So just a couple things on it. First of all, the article starts with in the space of five years, content marketing has gone from promising new, more authentic way, blah, blah, blah. Well, first of all, you lost me there. It's not new. It's been going on, well, this show. <laughs> it's been going on for hundreds of years, if not more. So as soon as you say that it's a new way to communicate, you could say that it's a, a new way to some companies, but you can't say that it's a new approach because the approach has been used since uh, forever. So that's the the first issue I have with it. The second issue is the author goes through and talks about, oh, how content is problematic, marketing is problematic, but really spends most of the time talking about how marketing, using the term marketing, is an issue because content is so much more or can be so much more and we're going to publish and we're going to do an editorial calendar and we're going we're gonna to have an opinion and all that stuff. And as I read through this, what I realized was this is marketing. I don't care if you create, create an editorial calendar. You could publish. You could do all these. You're, you're marketing. So first of all, you have to realize that that's what it is. And you can call it whatever you want. And you and I have been, I think, pretty outgoing about the fact that if there's a better term, we're, we're more than happy to look at it. But what you have to realize is that if you were talking to marketing professionals, you have to call what <clears throat> we do marketing in some way because that's what it is. So if you go and say there's so there's lots of phrases used in this article like some people like brand publishing and some people like branded content. That's fine. 
you could use those if you work at an agency and you want to use brand publishing or whatever or branded content in your organism, media organization, go right ahead. You could do that. But if you're talking to marketers, they're going to be snoozing. They're not going to be paying attention to you at all because you know what? They don't do brand publishing. They don't do branded content. You know what they do? They do marketing. And this is part of the marketing mix if you go in, which is the reason why you and I started using the term content marketing a decade ago because we knew who we were talking to. So the whole idea of this, why we're dropping the term content marketing, that's fine. If this if this is an organization that is talking to human resources experts, if they're talking to um, analysts, if they're talking to uh, people that work in construction, I don't care. If you're talking to a different audience other than marketers, you feel free to call it whatever you want. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you right now, if you are talking to marketers, you better call it whatever it is, marketing. And that's where everybody tries to drop the, the marketing first. And they want to keep the content or use some term. Oh, it should be custom content or, or content publishing. Or, okay, then let's go into brand public. Oh, it's publishing and whatever. You know what? It's all marketing. So I'm going to get off my uh, off my box here, soapbox, and kind of give you the floor for this. But that's what frustrates me is in all these articles, they never talk about, well, why do we use that term? Why did the term gain traction in the first place? They just say, I don't like it. Wah. Man, I I hate it. I want something new. And that's what every one of these articles that you and I have talked about. They just say, I don't like it. Content should mean this and marketing should mean this. So we're going to call it blah, blah, blah. Well, here's uh, let me offer you a theory for that. Let me offer you a theory for that. Because this is where he lost me. This is where the author lost me. It's about, uh, it's the third paragraph down. After he after he does the you know as I've as I've mentioned on this show a million times before goes through the you know the usual recipe right misdefine the concept then then redefine the concept and say this is what we're going to do and and go okay well that you just defined content marketing but yeah okay fine <clears throat> where he lost me is in the very beginning of the third paragraph where he says. Combine content with marketing and you further undermine what you're creating. Here we go. The phrase suggests the entire point of the exercise, or at least the very least the primary one, is marketing. But if you want to attract people to your product, this is the wrong approach to take. So what he's basically saying there is is that the phrase suggests that the entire point of the exercise, or at least the primary one, is marketing. But if you want to attract people to your product, this is the wrong approach to take. So what he's saying in those two sentences, marketing is the wrong approach to take to attracting people to your product. That I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I just, I he just lost me I, I, because. And here's my uh, here's my theory to what you've just said. I think the people who have tra- challenges with the term content marketing have challenges with the term marketing. The idea of marketing has become so loaded and so uh, f- the feel of ick. This, I mean, because this, you know, you hear it from journalists all the time. They don't want to. They don't want to be associated with marketing, and uh, marketing feels icky and salesy, and it's marketing. I don't like marketing, and blah blah blah. And it's a challenge. People have the challenge with being associated with the term marketing because they want to be journalists or they want to be, you know, brand artists or they want to be growth hackers or they want to be, you know, they don't want to use the term marketing because it has some sort of pejorative, uh, you know, connotation to them. And that's where I have a problem because I am a fundamental, as people on the, who listen to this show know, I am a fundamentally huge fanboy of the term. I have been since I became a marketer 30 years ago. And the whole idea of marketing has changed. The fundamental of marketing is the same, however, and that is for us to make markets. We create markets by creating wonderful things that create trust and value to consumers that make them make a decision in our favor. That's the whole point Mm -hmm. of what we do as marketers. If they want to call it just marketing and they want to create valuable, wonderful, cool things that are content-driven experiences and call it just marketing, totally good with that. As you and I have said a million times and you just said, if you don't want to call it content marketing, don't. But you got to call it marketing. It, just to your point, you, you, it, it is because that's what we're doing, folks. And, and if you're speaking with marketers and you're not saying doing marketing, well, then you're not marketing. And so... It, 
basically, if if you want to, like to your point, if you want to call it brand content to yourself because you don't want to be associated with the term, or you want to call it brand journalism, or you want to call it, you know, content that delivers wonderful things, or you want to call yourself a growth hacker, or you want to call your whatever. I don't. It doesn't matter. As I just, I literally just said this at an event. Somebody said, "What's the future of content marketing?" And I said, "It's just marketing, right? It's just when we get further. This is just going to be another approach." in the quiver of all the arrows that we have as marketers. This is going to be a core approach to what we do from a product and brand centric uh, point of view. It's, it, it, it's fundamentally changing the way we approach the practice that we know and love so well. We say that in the book. And so drop the term. I don't care if you drop the term. Just do the practice. But here, the only challenge I have is don't misdefine the practice. Don't undermine the practice as you do it. In other words, don't call the practice bad and then go off and do it because that's that's what you're doing is then you're hiding the path that you're making behind you. You're literally, you know, chopping off the underbrush as you go through the jungle, but you're not leaving any map behind you for others to follow. And when you don't leave maps for others to follow, then you're just being selfish and you're just and you're just trying to get traffic to your blog post. And that's where mm-hmm. I have an issue with this article. No, I anyway, amen. End of rant. No, yeah. no, amen to that. I mean, I, I think you know, I was on a podcast interview recently with Brian, our friend Brian Clark from Copy mm-hmm. Blogger, and Brian was one of the early ones that hated the term. I mean, we, right. we've talked yeah. many, many times about it, but then, I mean, he's a lawyer I mean, he comes right. from a legal background. He's not a marketer. Right. And right. as, as we were talking about the, the phrase and who it's targeted, he realizes that if you're, if you're going to target marketers, you have, you probably should use marketing in some way. We just happen to throw content in front of it because market, Hey, I'm a marketer. You're a marketer. We're simple people. It's like, don't complicate it. That's why it's why I love that when people want to use brand publishing or custom content or all these other terms, you know what? Those people, 99% of the time, are not marketers. They're something else, which is fine. Go, yeah, go, go use the term. Talk about it with your family. Talk about brand, branded <laughs> content with your kids. Talk about That's with great. Your you can have all hoot nanny <laughs> around brand publishing. Woohoo. I don't know any chief marketing officers that are setting their strategic goals for next year talking about brand publishing. That's right. It's going to happen. End of rant. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Get Other than that, yard. it was a well-written article. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, there you have it. I mean, so I mean, I look forward to your post. I look forward to your post. I, I think it'll be. And, and I, I don't. And by the way, this is all. It's all in fun. Most of the the reason why, and I told you this, the reason why I wrote the article because I haven't come back on any of these other posts recently because I just felt it was time. You know, you, you get a build up or five or six of these things, just like, oh, okay, I better go out and say something. I better come outside. You know, and open the door. Oh, there's light. You know, I got to actually walk outside and talk to some people and say. This is this is why, and then and then in the article I talk about, you know, when I when I started in this business in two thousand, and then ultimately what was thrust into selling content marketing services in two thousand one two thousand two, why I actually started to use that term, and it's because nothing else resonated with marketing executives. Yeah, yeah, and I've tried them all. <clears throat> I've tried every one of the terms. I mean, customer media was huge in Europe and I kicked that around and people were looking at me like I had two heads. Customer media, what's that? You know, custom content, custom publishing, branded branded media, branded content, brand publishing, nothing resonated. And then you realize, oh, search marketing, direct marketing, cause marketing, everything that we do, all these new, these approaches right. are part of marketing right. and you need to call them exactly. marketing. So, right, there we go. right, right, right. And as we've talked about a million times, those are all those are all marketing approaches that integrate into the broader approach of communicating value of our of our business. And that's what we do. That's what our job is as marketers. And to the challenge I have with these posts is that, is that it's a bit like, you know, you know, you open up the door and you look into the party and you go and you announce to everybody this party's horrible. I'm going to a better one. And then you close the door behind you. And 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 everybody goes. Where did that guy go? Right. And so you're not. It's 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 unuseful for anybody. Right. It's it's not useful for anybody for that guy to open up the door and go. You guys are all doing it wrong. We're doing it right. But I'm not going to tell you what we're doing. 
Mm-hmm. Just because we're going to a cooler party, right? And uh, anyway, I'll get back off on our rail. Let's move on to the next story, shall we? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Our last story of the show um, is uh, <clears throat> also coming to us courtesy of the news coming out of Khan. And uh, this one comes from Digiday, uh, and it is speaking to the New York Times and uh, the CEO there, who, and this, I guess, you know, just to the point we were talking about in the, not the last story, but the story before that, the sort of coming of the, 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 the disruption. Anyway, the headline is the New York Times CEO on the state of digital advertising. He says it's a nightmarish joke, and that's a quote. Um, the article opens up by saying, Count the New York Times CEO Mark Thompson among those unhappy with the state of digital ad market beset by fraud, bots, bad ad placement, and oodles of ad tech. Uh, the quote is, The world of digital advertising is a nightmarish joke, uh, said uh, Mr. Thompson during a panel discussion at the Con Lion. Mark Zuckerberg's first post, this is the great quote, by the way, Mark Zuckerberg's first post about fake news, Facebook managed to serve an ad for fake news right next to it. It's a joke. It's out of control. There are all sorts of creepy, borderline fraudulent middlemen, this thicket of strange companies tracking pixels on everything. You couldn't think of a more dangerous environment for a brand. Um, Did you have a take on this? I have a small take on this. Well, I was going uh, to yield to the gentleman from California, yield the floor, and I wanted to hear your take um, as we were talking about beforehand, because you definitely have a take on this, correct? I do. I do. And it's, I mean, you know, a lot of my thunder may have been stolen a little bit earlier, but but this is, again, the, you know, when, when, when you start seeing the consolidation of everything on on from a content perspective right and i think what we've seen over the last well certainly an acceleration of that over the last 12 months but really over the last five years um as we've started to see places you know facebook the google properties amazon apple you know basically the the the, what do they call it the fang these days you know and and so you know uh, and, and so when we see really everybody sort of consolidating around these um, and we're losing the, the, what used to be the open web, and this gets into, you know, certainly discussions of, uh, of the open network and it gets into, you know, of, 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 you know, internet freedom and all that kind of stuff, which I won't go down that, that road. I won't go down. What I will go down is this, the state of advertising right now, and this is just you know I can just see it bubbling under the surface, you know, the surface, and, and this the sort of the roiling boil, if you will, of, of of digital advertising right now. I just think it's ready to spill over because when you start seeing, you know, like the CEO of the New York Times call it a nightmarish joke, if something doesn't fundamentally change really soon here, and you know. We start seeing an opening up because here they're at the, in this article, they're talking about the idea of, you know, congratulations, Facebook, you're a media company and now you better start acting like one. And we start seeing things like Facebook being taken to task for not taking down content quick enough for not, you know, you know, being, you know, too open in terms of the kinds of content that can be displayed there from everything from horrific videos that are doing a live stream of Facebook to you see what's going on with Google and they just got fined a huge amount of money. Money, um, in in Europe for 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 not coming clean on some of the data things that they're doing, from all the things that we're seeing with Apple privacy, the new you know new privacy laws going on in Canada, new privacy coming in Germany and Europe and and from the GDPR and all of these things are are beginning to come to a confluence, and I just think there's a real reckoning coming when we start seeing digital ads and the sort of scraping of data and this and the idea of how we're actually collecting surveillance based marketing on users of content and i think at some point consumers are going to care i think there's going to be enough of these marketing uh, articles hit the new york times and hit regular consumer media that at some point consumers are going to start caring about this and it th- basically when you start you know, as the the guy in this article says, the the CEO of the New York Times, when Thompson, he says, the ecosystem that has grown up is a really strangely shaped thing. He says it's based on the idea that content doesn't matter, and that's true right now. This is goes back to we talked about this on about f- like four shows ago, where we talked about this idea of the the guys who were sitting in the back room. Uh, I can't. It was Walt Mossberg and somebody else who was sitting in the back room, and they were talking about targeting ads. 
And somebody said, hey, you're going to target ads. You know, you're going to buy some ads on the New York Times. And he said, yes, I'm going to buy ads on the New York Times for a minute. And just until I get enough data scraped to understand where your audiences are, you know, are going. And then I'm just going to go buy all those blogs and buy all those, you know, I'm going to arbitrage the traffic because I can go target them anywhere they are on the Internet. And of course, that means a drive, 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 drive down to zero and zero margins and a zero cost model and a zero profit model. Thus, the business stops to exist anymore. And so we've reached peak efficiency with ad tech. Um, and it's just not going to get any better without making the content better. And I think that doesn't happen unless we completely review and look at the way we're creating content and the value we're creating for the consumers of it. And so I just... For me, this was just such a, a, a sort of sign, you know, a billboard saying it's coming and it's coming soon. So anyway. I, well, the only my, thing that yeah. I would say, I mean, of course, I agree with you. But the only thing I would say is the article, because it's the CEO of The New York Times and there's uh, the CEO and publisher of The New York Post is also quoted in this. It does come off as a little sour grapes. Of I course. Mean, it really does. Well, this, yeah. I've, I've abs- look, there's, you know, the, the, <laughs> Look, publishers are just as far to blame on this as other. I mean, there was another where there was a couple of stories that we didn't cover this week of publishers that are going out of business. Right? Um, well, I can't remember what magazine it was off the top of my head. Well, Men's Health themselves. just sold. Men's I know Health. That. that was it. Right? Is that the and, one? Okay. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, and you know, so publishers haven't done themselves any favors here. Certainly, um, you know, the New York Times has done better than most. Um, with you know the way that they've experimented and done some really interesting things to try and evolve and right size the company and, and and all those kinds of things and I think you know we're starting to see some publishers Washington Post New York Times really kind of figure it out you know with in terms of increasing traffic focusing on quality focusing on subscriptions a direct relationship with audience and people will pay for that quality and I think the the challenge is is that the more that consolidation happens you know you can feel they can feel that pressure right to go hey we have to get our content into the facebook because that's where people are that's where people spend their time and so the more i've said this before every single ceo every single cmo every single person who works for a company should be advocating for the free and open web and to make sure that the walled gardens of Facebook don't don't happen. If you're if you're at all interested in marketing and or publishing, you should be freaking out that the walled gardens are happening because all it does is limit your choices. And that that, you know, everything that pushes on that button, everything that pushes on the walling of the gardens and the consolidation is a bad thing is a bad thing for us as marketers and it's a bad thing for us as publishers and for those of us who are in the business of doing both it's an extraordinarily bad thing well so yeah well and then it talks to the fact that um i think there was this article if, if not the first one we talked about where these algorithms are working in a way that it's just it's just feeding you the same information over and over again and this is this is why we've had some of the issues we've had with fake news and we've had with you know people sharing this type of content and you've had battles and families and whatnot because you're only getting one stream of content and you're not opening yourself to to new and diverse opinions uh because it's just feeding on itself and it and to your i would like to think say i don't know if, if consumers are going to realize that they need to change i i don't I don't know of a lot of people that are that are. No, nobody cares about that. They're not going to care about it at yeah, all, right? Consumers don't go. How will I change? Right? No, consumers just change. Right? We just, you know, we take what we're given. Right? Nobody, nobody before the iPhone went. Wow, I wish there was a thing that would allow me to swipe yeah. left and do things that would, you know. No, when when the disruption happens, consumers change based on the disruption, and so I, I totally agree with that. But. <clears throat> Our job is to influence that that disruption, right, and, and 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 move it in the way that, quite frankly, benefits us. And as marketers and as publishers, the way that it benefits us is to influence the disruption to not go into the walled gardens of Facebook and you know and all of the rest. It's to open everything up, and and the more we open things up, the more competition there is, the more price relief there is, the more access to audiences we have, and and so on and so forth. This is kind of a depressing episode. 
<laughs> Not to me. I think it's fun and exciting and adventurous, and I love trying to figure this out. This is this is this is what gets me up in the morning is trying to figure this stuff out. It should be an interesting next few years. Oh, I can't wait. Actually, I can't all wait. This it's going to be great. This is this is this is this is what we're. This is this is our mission, man. This is what we do. <laughs> I wish somebody would write a book on this. I know. I know. I wish it would just happen. I know. I All know. Right. That's uh should we should we talk about our sponsor this week? You know, or? we should talk about, you know, speaking of streams of content and differing opinions. We should talk about this thing called I think it's called branded content world or content entertainment oh, world or bite your tongue. <laughs> That's terrible. No, no, our sponsor this week is our own beloved content marketing world and a reminder that summer rates come to an end on July 21st for content marketing world and you can also <clears throat> use coupon code PNR100 for this old marketing listeners to get an additional $100 off registration content marketing world is September 5th through 8th in Cleveland Ohio and we are of course expecting our best conference yet and last week if you didn't hear, CMW announced Colson Whitehead, author of many books, including The Underground Railroad, which I'm reading right now, and he won the Pulitzer Prize for that book. So I'm super – and there's there's actually, Robert, there's three awards. Like There's the Pulitzer Prize, and then there's two other awards for uh, for journal, for writing, and he won he, – he swept all three awards. It's amazing. It's an amazing so. book. It's an amazing book. Um, have you read it already? I've read parts of it. I okay. have not read the whole thing, I'm, but, so I'm, but I'm, I'm working I'm, on it. It was one of those things where I started in on it. And it was I was like enchanted. I mean, it was it's it's, it's, yeah, it's really it's some deep yeah some deep stuff yeah. for sure. Yeah. And and we by the way we also have two more keynotes to announce as well, which I can't tell you anything about at this point. But I'm really looking <laughs> forward to doing so. We have 14 concurrent tracks this year. Something for everyone, whether you're a small company or a large B2B or B2C marketers. Just, just go to contentmarketingworld.com and use coupon code PNR100 to save an additional $100 when you sign up. I will be there. I will be doing the opening. Mr. Robert Rose has a keynote this year, of course. And we are. And by the way, we are launching our book, Killing Marketing, and content marketing this year as well. So lots of things going on. We want to see Amazing. you there. We want to see our listeners there. You're the best. We love you, and we'd love to see you there in person and talk to you firsthand. So, absolutely yes, absolutely yes, and uh, I can't wait for it. It's 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 going to be great this year. It really is. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for your favorite part of our episode every week, and that is our rants and rave section, where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel curious or something that's just curiously annoying. Um, and let's see. Um, I uh, knew you have you have you go first because I'm 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 all tongue tied because you never do this but you have this old marketing you have this old I have this old marketing this week as promised last week amazing I know and I didn't and I kept my promise I'm gonna do I told people I do one every twelve weeks and here it is so (laughs) anyway so I I'm gonna I have a little commentary to make Um, I really wanted I've been been really uh, thinking a lot about. Our family vacation to Europe, as you know, it was an amazing experience for myself and for my wife and our two kids. And well, first of all, it was a family vacation. So there's that. That's why it was was so amazing. I love spending time with the family. Second, it was the first time that I've gone 100% offline, meaning no email or, or social media since I started working a job. So that was a big deal. Uh, by the way, I highly recommend that if you can do it. A lot of people can't do it. Um, and third, it was, it was the first time I'd been to Italy and Spain, which are both completely different and beautiful in their own way. But over, so here's my, my commentary. Over the trip, we had the opportunity to see some amazing paintings, sculptures, architecture. We visited uh, Picasso's Museum. We saw Michelangelo's David, viewed Botticelli's Venus, and, and topped it off with Gaudi's amazing Sangrada Familia, which was the most amazing cathedral I'd, I'd ever seen. And as we went from city to city and museum to museum, my wife would comment on how crazy these artists were. Uh, Picasso, for example, spent months painting the same image over and over, making minor variations along the way. When you look at the paintings as a group, you wondered how obsessive and compulsive he really was. Uh, Michelangelo basically locked himself in a room for two years while designing David, and then spent six months alone on just polishing it. He often went to bed with his boots on and rarely, if ever, showered during that time. So that must have been an interesting experience. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, exactly. Gaudi's early designs for Sagrada Familia were almost laughable at the time. I mean, nothing like it had ever been undertaken. 
The idea was almost too big. Um, that idea is now scheduled to be finalized in 2026, 100 years after Gaudi's death, believe it or not. So, wow. You know, it wow. got me thinking about all this, Robert. And you know, maybe the greatest creators are a little bit crazy, but maybe it's something more than that. At least during this holiday time with my family, I found that the world's greatest creators are incredibly focused on one thing at a time. That stood out more than anything. They really put their heart and soul into one effort instead of focusing on 80 things at one time. They also think really big, set lofty goals and visions of what can actually be accomplished. They also focus on areas and do things that haven't been done before. Um, of course, they they take and steal from other artists, but what, what they create and, and make is something completely new that hasn't been seen before. It's fairly obvious, also fairly obvious, that they deny conventional thinking, or as Robert Frost would say, they take the path less traveled. So as sort of making the relation to this experience for me, Robert, and how we can help the people listening to this and content creators, if you are going to create content, this is what I got out of it. So if you're going to create content, choose a content niche where you actually can be the leading expert in the world and actually do something amazing. Setting that as, as the actual goal, or some people call it BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal. Set that large goal. If you're going to be a content creator, focus on doing something consistently over a long period of time. And this is the hallmark of great sculptors, great architects, and of course, great media companies. And if you're going to actually create something, don't tell the same story. Tell a truly differentiated story. Sure, as we said, it can be based on what's happened in the past, but something about it must be different. So, you know, Robert, those were my thoughts coming from all the amazing experiences I had in Europe and and I simply can't wait to go back again. So that was my little commentary that I thought I'd share with you. <clears throat> no, that's really cool. I love that. I love how you tied it into, I mean, weirdly, and we and, and again, we didn't talk about this, but this ties nicely into my commentary as well. But mm. I, I love that um, talking about, you know, I mean, this fits right into the theme of the show, the idea of being curious and spending time, you know, and how many artists actually spend time on the thing that they want to create and make sure that it's, you know, they revel in the question, right? You know, they, they, whether or not, you know, polishing the statue or doing 14 different studies of the same thing or, you know, uh, and, and really recreating and rewriting and reforming the, 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 the inspirational idea they have to make sure that it gets expressed in just the way they want it expressed. And, Man, is there a lesson we can take out of that in this, in the, you know, how fast we have to move these days and how fast we have to produce things these days. Having, you know, there's a real lost, I think, art um, in that sitting back and just focusing on recreating the thing until it's ready. You know what I mean? Until it's ready. You know, we get, you know, I mean, obviously there's the just ship it idea, you know, Guy Kawasaki talks about that and, you know, Seth Godin is the big, yeah, yeah, right. And fail fast and all that kind of stuff. But there's also a lost art in this idea of ship it when it's ready, right? When, you know, not until it, not until it's ready, you know, no, no later than when it's ready, but not until it's ready. And that's, there's something really, I think, I think important for us to, 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 to really acknowledge in that. So, yeah. So thank you for that. That's really good. No, that's all right. Glad you like it. So my commentary is, so it's related and it's different, but it's related is a, is a bit of a rant. A, A few people sent me this, um, especially from all my friends, uh, down under, who sent me this. This was an article that appeared in Mumbrella.com, uh, um, and it's, uh, it's about a company that I don't know a lot about um, because um, I'm, I'm, I don't live in Australia. But the, um, the article itself is, the headline is, With the sacking of Alex Malley, Australia's biggest content marketing experiment has failed. Um, the article really opens up and talks about how this guy, Alex Malley, who was the head of an organization called the CPA, which was an organization of accountants, um, was sort of a celebrity leader. Um, and they had built a big marketing program around this guy, um, including uh, a book um, and uh, videos and, and, and a whole thing. And they sort of turned him into a celebrity, a bit of a CEO leader. Um, and the, the, and, and, and really the article goes on, <clears throat> really focuses in a lot in the beginning about 
the idea of the celebrity leader of a company and, you know, whether you're the Richard Branson type or, you know, the, those kinds of things, the, the risk inherent in creating that, because if you invest all this money in creating this sort of celebrity leader in your organization as a content marketing strategy, um, and they even go on the article, the author of this article talks about how they had sort of held up the CPA and, and Mally's book, uh, which is called the naked CEO, um, as an award winner in their, in their content marketing awards. And, and basically as, you know, sort of allegations swirl around him and he got fired, sort of that investment goes out the window. And so the, the, as a news story, I think it's a fine news story. I think it's, you know, it's, yes, that happened, right? The opinion, and this does appear in their opinions piece, there a section. Um, it seems to be that there's a there, that there's an inherent risk in doing this. That there, that there's an that there's something not right about doing this, and and I take exception with that a bit. Um, I, it, I don't want to take too much exception to it because I'm not sure that the opinion is really stated that strongly in here. I've read this article a few times, and it's but but I do want to say that yes. But it doesn't say anything about content marketing. In other words, the the sort of undertone of this article is that the idea of creating a celebrity leader where you write a book or you make them sort of a personality or you create that content that, you know, sort of elevates them to the same extent that you're elevating your brand, there's an inherent undertone here that says that that's too risky and you shouldn't do it. And my challenge with that is, is that it also seems to imply that you should depersonalize at other levels as well, which is something, a question I get all the time at workshops that I do. In other words, how much should we surface our employees as subject matter experts or as authors of our blog or as authors of white papers? Um, I just finished a big engagement with a, a very, very large uh, accounting firm, um, global company. And this was a huge question they had, which is, what if these people leave? You know, what if the you know where is the inherent risk in putting these people out front as as personalities of our business? And what I would say is, there's no more inherent risk than doing any other piece of marketing that you would do. Any any time you attach anything to people, you associate the the foibles, the weaknesses, and the strengths of those people. And I will argue that the strengths of your people are the differentiating strengths that you have as a business with a point of view. And to sort of subjugate that down and say, well, because of what happened here with this with the uh, CPA organization means that we shouldn't surface our people's personality or our leader's personality and build strategies around that, I think is a mistaken idea. Because you can talk about all kinds of brands that have survived their celebrity status of CEOs. You talk about Bill Gates. Microsoft has been fine since Bill Gates' departure. Steve Jobs was fired from Apple and then came back and saved Apple. And now Apple is certainly fine again after Steve Jobs is gone. Lee Iacocca was famous and they made him a celebrity and they wrote a book and they did everything around Lee Iacocca and Chrysler. Then, of course... Lee Iacocca almost took the company into bankruptcy while he was CEO. And then, of course, he retired just before the company made a huge turnaround and became successful again. Jack Dorsey of Twitter. You can argue that him leaving was good for the company. You can leave it, argue that it was bad for the company. But as a celebrity CEO, he's now back on the board. And, and you can argue that Twitter is either better off or not better off for him. It doesn't matter. The investment is still there. You look at investments, Jeff Bezos and Tony Shea and other celebrity CEOs, all of them, I don't know that there's a causation correlation because one of the conclusions, and this is the only real challenge I had with this this article, is that they actually draw performance, right? So they said the growth in membership of the CPA over the last eight years as Mally has been CEO and gone through this piece of marketing appears to have been relatively modest, 129,000 to 160,000 in growth, roughly in keeping with the population growth uh, of the of the industry itself. And so what they're suggesting is, is that this is the only marketing that this organization was doing, which, I, again, I don't know for a fact, but I suspect it's really not. And so it's blaming this marketing entirely for either sort of not, you know, not terribly robust growth or for 
putting a penalty and or a you know filter and or you know sort of governor on the growth that might have been there in, in otherwise and i think both that's that's also mistaken in other words maybe this content marketing was the only thing that drove the growth maybe that was the maybe everything else they were doing would have made, meant that they declined in value and that this was the biggest driver of the growth in other words we need to look at this in perspective. Content marketing is not the only thing we're going to do, nor is elevating the, our celebrities the only thing we're going to do. All of this is part of an integrated program. And just to everything we've been talking about for the last hour, content marketing, no matter what you call it, is simply an integrated piece of our overall marketing strategy. It can make everything better. And when things go worse, it can make everything worse. And so invest accordingly. And so that's the end of my commentary. Yeah, it's always like, it's that person's fault. Right. Exactly. Let's blame, you know, it's like a we big need witch someone hunt. to blame. We yeah, need, we need some, someone you know, to blame. We need answers, right? Well, yeah. this one, oh, this is this is different. Let's blame this one. It's just Anyways, I'm glad you brought that out. There you go. All right, I have this old marketing. Yay. And uh in of course, I told you that I had a really interesting one that I found uh while uh, I was on vacation. So this may or may not be a pure this old marketing, but I think it's relevant enough to mention. So I'm just going to put that disclaimer out there, like we, okay. we generally do, and our listeners can decide how valuable they think it is. So um, when I was on vacation, my son Adam and I received a tour at the Academia Gallery in Florence to view, among other things, Michelangelo's David. And I told you, I just thought it was amazing. As we walked in with our tour guide, he took us first to see a not very well-known painting from Botticelli called The Virgin and Child with Two Angels. Now, Botticelli's, you know, Venus and amazingly oh, famous. Yeah, of course. Um, oh, yeah. But this was one of his early, um, earlier paintings. And I'll put the art in the show notes so you can see. But you know, picture Mary holding Jesus with John the Baptist, which is Florence's uh, patron saint, off her left shoulder. Now, this is... Um, this is modeled in, I think it was in the late 1460s that Botticelli painted this one after his teacher's style, which is Filippo Lippi. I wanted to throw that out there. So, set the stage. Now, between all that action, there were two angels. Their heads between Mary and Jesus in the picture. And according to our tour guide, this particular painting, along with others like it, was underwritten specifically to reside outside a doctor's office. And in those days, many people who were seeing a doctor, which was actually quite a new thing at the time, could not read. But most of the population were very familiar with pictures of angels and what those angels stood for. And in this case, the angels in the painting stood for health or good health. So that when people saw the paintings, even though they couldn't read, they would know that this place was a doctor's office because of the angels represented in the, in the picture. Huh. So the underwriter put money into a painting creation so that they could be affiliated with great art. And at the same time, people would know that the the establishment's purpose. So I'm not sure we can call this an early content marketing example, Robert. <laughs> but right. it was certainly interesting enough to bring it up. And I think that just for the fact that it was underwritten, you know, this great piece of art, this piece of content was underwritten by somebody that had commercial uh, aspirations I thought was interesting even back in in the 1460s. So that was this week's uh, this old marketing example. I love it. You know, get your get your it's a, it's the content ink model really if you think about it. <laughs> it's a little stretch. Get your good health yeah. here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Fantastic. Uh, so you um, so you have some good plans today. We have uh, we're we're getting together. We have our big Fourth of July party every year, so I'm looking forward to that. Anything else nice. on the agenda for you later this week? Uh, no, we're gonna we're gonna keep it kind of quiet. We've you know we're taking. So here's what happens here in Los Angeles. Nobody comes to Los Angeles for July Fourth. It's just a thing. I don't know why, but nobody there's nobody here, right? And so what happens is is that this week. Um, during the July 4th holiday, the city's empty. And so it's a wonderful time to actually be in the city because you can go anywhere. And so we're taking advantage of this next, you know, sort of um, three or four days. And we're, you know, we're doing dinner at one of our favorite restaurants, which is way down in Beverly Hills from where we live today. And another plane that's way down south and along the beach. And we're going to all these places that we would never go because the traffic is so absolutely horrific all the other times um, that, uh, yeah, so we're taking advantage of, the, of, of, uh, of our city this weekend while it's empty. 
That's very, very nice. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's exactly what you need to be doing. So we're going <laughs> to take advantage of, <laughs> we're going to be here taking advantage of hopefully dry weather and, yeah. uh, and lots of uh, uh, mixtures of alcohol. So we're very gonna, nice. Yeah. Well, there will be that for me as well. Yeah, there, well, there, there those that that tequila will be served, ladies and gentlemen. All right, and with that note, um, that is it for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose. We are signing off. And if you like this episode, number one hundred and ninety, uh, only ten more folks until two hundred. Won't you leave us a kind review on iTunes? We love those kind reviews on iTunes. And if you haven't yet, do consider subscribing, won't you? iTunes or Stitcher.com or your favorite podcatcher. And when you leave us a review or if you subscribe, let us know, won't you? We want to hashtag us up and we can give you a wonderful, wonderful little thank you note um, because that's how much we appreciate you as being a little subscriber to this little podcast. And of course, story ideas, story ideas, story ideas, folks. We love them. We need them. Please tweet us up. Hashtag us up at This Old Marketing. This Old Marketing examples as well and you know if you have a question or you don't like the twitter or you don't like anything like that you can always send us one of those fancy old emails this old marketing at contentinstitute.com all the links we talked about today will be available in the show notes as we go to publish on monday night and of course in the show post at thisoldmarketing.com on saturdays until next week everybody remember it is your story to tell tell it well see you next week on this old marketing is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.